Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Yo. Yo. Aubrey Edwards, Tony Schiavone. We about to party. We about to party. Unrestricted. Got the house now. We gonna turn it up. Hey everybody, this is Aubrey and Will, Unrestricted. Uh, I'm excited to be here today. Will, how are you doing? I am doing great. It's the beginning of a new week, or end of a new week, depending on when you're listening to this. I, I'm Kayfabe, brother, kayfabe. <laughs> <laughs> no, because like, seriously, we dropped this, the audio version on Thursdays, but we dropped the video on Monday. So like, really, it could be the end of your week. It could be the beginning of your week. It just depends on when this has hit you. But when it's, when it's hitting your eyeballs, when it's hitting your ears, whatever orifice you prefer to consume a podcast <laughs> on. <laughs> exactly. But otherwise, I'm, I'm always good. I, I always just try to keep myself in high spirits because, look, I'm working the dream job. How could I complain? Speaking of work in the dream job, now that you've been around been around the block for a couple months now, a couple months, it's like six months, seven months. How long have you been with us? Five months by the, yeah, five months, five months, because it's October. Five, so, yeah. It's like just yesterday, but also a lifetime in wrestling, yeah, right? It's been five months because <laughs> uh, I started first week of May. I guess I was official end of April, but nobody knew that. So um, <laughs> my all the graphic dropped at the beginning of May, May 3rd. So yeah, it's officially been five months. It's officially been five months. So... Uh, you've sort of settled into your role. What is your, I'm curious now, because I don't see you a lot on show day, but like, what does a normal show day look like for you? Oh, nobody sees me a lot show day. And I always think that's interesting because, because the busiest time for most people on show day is like during the show, right? Sure. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) (laughs) For me, that's like actually kind of the time to rest because up until that point, you know, it's the preparation of the show that is everything I'm doing. So people, the thing I hear most throughout my work day is, oh, where have you been all day? Like when I show up during, or, you know, I'll be in the viewing area during Dynamite or during Collision or whatever. And I'll be like, yeah, I've been around all day. I've been working, doing stuff. I've been in the office. Yeah, it's a really busy time because it's one of those things where (laughs) I'm always busy with something AEW related, whether it's at TV or whether it's doing this podcast or whether it's uh, working from home. Mm -hmm. I've been pulling stats as of late. So win loss records and things like that that you're seeing on TV. There's there's a lot of input from me on things like that. There's been uh, times where even recently, uh, it was just last month, we had a match between John Moxley and Action Andretti. And the graphic uh, before it went up uh, had Action Andretti's collision record, which wasn't very good. It was 0-1. And, and I was like, hey, this guy's got a title match. Let's fix that. And so uh, I had it changed to 7-7 seven and seven hey. because that was what his actual singles record was. It just we needed to expand beyond collision. It's little things like that. Those are things that I'm working on throughout the show and throughout the day. And, uh, of course, you know, I'm in a creative role and in helping put together certain stories, things along those lines. It's been a lot and it never stops. It's 
a seven day a week job, even when I'm at the movies and then a text will pop up and it'll say like, hey, I need such and such. And then all of a sudden I'm doing that. So it's a never ending role. AEW is. It's a never ending role, which is why I'm very excited to uh, have our guest on today. Just kind of that like day to day, crazy, creative. Let's try and get a show on TV and hopefully see what hits. So I'm excited to talk today. Who we got? A man who has so much history in the business, no matter what side of it you're on. We were literally just talking last week about this man being one of the all time great promos. He actually has the stats to back that up. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Jimmy Jacobs. What up, guys? I like that as soon as Will said that, Jimmy went, what? <laughs> Back it off. I mean, that, 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 this that. humble man over here wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't take the credit for it. But literally, Cage Match has one of, I think, one of his all-time great promos. Ranked as one of the top, I think, it's in the top 20 promos all-time on Cage yeah, Match. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a good promo. I mean, <laughs> I would have delivered it a little bit differently now, but, you know, yeah, it was a very well-crafted promo. Either way, he's a five-time Ring of Honor World Tag Team Champion. And again, just you've worn so many hats in professional wrestling. You've been around so many different companies, and now you've arrived here in All Elite Wrestling. But this is the first time that we've really gotten to talk to you since you've been in AEW. I feel like you and I talk every week. I know, right? I'm saying this as if you're not somebody that I work with on a literal, regular basis. But... From the perspective of people who haven't gotten to hear from you for a, a, quite a while, how's it been being in AEW so far? AEW's great. It's a madhouse. I'm, uh, it's an understatement. You know, <laughs> welcome to madness, though. You know, for the last year, I was uh, living in rural Georgia. I bought a, you know, about seven acres out in the middle of nowhere. I was, you know, working for Impact Wrestling. That's just a couple weekends a month. And uh, I was working on a the farm a couple days a week, you know, I was, I was living that life and it was like, mm, this is a little too mellow for me. I need to just like get thrown <laughs> in the blender and just whirl around in the chaos. And, uh, apparently that's where I'm best adapted for. So AEW is my home right now. There we go. That's so interesting. Cause you mentioned, yeah, working a couple weekends, you know, a month to suddenly going to literally we have our dynamite rampage tapings and then you're at collision as well. So you went from a couple weekends a month to suddenly two shows a week. So you went from the, the calm life to the, the chaos. And, uh, I guess you, you basically just answered that, but how is that transition? Do you, do you feel more acclimated to that? Yeah, it's, it, look, it's fine. It's what I've been doing like most of my life up until. 2020 things slowed down that was the first time things ever like slowed down for me in my career since i was about 18 you know yeah i'm, I'm used to it so i'm used to the chaos i'm I, I revel in the chaos i don't know what that says about you know my nervous system is acclimated to reality but that's where i'm at right now i think anybody that is successful in wrestling kind of has to acclimate to the chaos if you don't, you're just going to kind of get left behind. So it's one of those. Yep. Nope. You, you kind of get just used to this. I think your first show with us was Washington, D.C. And I remember you, I seeing you backstage. I'm like, oh, yeah, this was inevitable. Like, of course, Jimmy's going to be here <laughs> just because you've done so much in wrestling and you have such a great mind for this business. What was your journey coming to AEW like going from farming in rural Georgia impact occasionally every other weekend or so to now you're on the road all the time yeah look like i said i've this is what i've been doing my the majority of my my adult life as for how i got here brian danielson called me he said hey we're we're starting a second show in 
we need someone in the chaos. I go, I'm, I'm great in the chaos, man. So uh, they, they needed someone that was going to be there at all the shows, like someone who has this sort of aptitude that I have. And there's other people that have the aptitude that I have that can do sort of what I do. It's, I'm not particularly special, but also I have no life. So it was like, hey, can you just be on the road whenever? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that says about you when someone says like, hey, you don't have any life. Can you come here and work for us? Yeah, yeah. I, I have some feelings about what it says about me. But. <laughs> it just means you're dependable. That's it. <laughs> you're reliable. That's what they call me. I made most of my career about like not being great, not being that talented, but just like being there. That was mostly my career was like, oh, he's here. I mean, you know, you mentioned like five-time Ring of Honor World Tag Team Champion. Was it three out of those five times was because there was something that, you know, someone left or someone was injured or something happened where it's like, all right, well, who, who now? It's like, Jimmy's here. And so that was, yeah. <laughs> you know, though, it, it was fascinating in Washington, D.C. to watch your arrival happen in real time. And a big piece of it was it, it really put into perspective for me how much you had been around because I was watching people who had history in WWE, history in Impact, history in Ring of Honor all come up to you and greet you for various different reasons because they all had very different history with you, right? It was like people who knew you from Ring of Honor knew you as as a performer, right? And then you had people who had literally just worked with you in Impact uh, who knew you in more of a creative role. And then I remember Chris Jericho was so excited to see you. Chris Jericho was like, oh my God, Jimmy Jacobs is here. And it was like, this was somebody you worked with in WWE. And so it was really cool to just watch that all happen all in a very short amount of time. It was probably like 15 minutes. I was just watching all of these people just so excited to see Jimmy Jacobs. But I think it it really represented how much you had been around the business at that point. What? How was that day as far as seeing all of those old faces? Yeah, look, it's always great to to run into people that uh, you, you've been around with. And I've look, I've been around for 24 plus years now in various capacities. And I'm fortunate to have garnered the respect of, of my peers, which is very important to me. So it's look, it's always good to see these guys and then know you're going to be in the trenches with them. Because as it is, maybe in life, maybe in wrestling, I'm not sure. It's like, you have a few friends, but mostly it's people you're in the trenches with. And a bond grows when you're in the trenches with them. It's like me and Chris Jericho, we're not talking every, every, after I left WWE and he left, like we're not talking all the time, but like now we're back in the trenches together. So, um, your, your bonds in life seem to be dependent on playing the same game or, or having the same goal or, doing the same thing as as the people around you. It's sort of that interdependence that leads to uh, closeness of relationships. So uh, I've been in the trenches with a lot of people of, over the years, that's for sure. So speaking of trenches, and like Will obviously knows this, but I don't. So for, for like more visibility for all of our listeners, like what does a normal show day look like for you? Well, I mean, the, the show doesn't start with the show. It's a continuate, it's just a one continuous blob of, that's the insane thing about pro wrestling is that it just never stops. You know, when people want to criticize the storytelling, it's like, yeah, fair enough. But it's really not possible to even have elegant storytelling because in storytelling, there's a, there's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end. With wrestling, it's just, and forever it goes on. 
that's it. So when the story ends, it's like, great. And now the next day and now the next day and the day after that. So it's just a continuous thing. So over the week, you know, I've gone over what we have for the shows with uh, Tony and with whomever needs to be aware of what's going to go on. And I fly with Tony Tuesday night to the town we're going to be in. We go over whatever we want to go over then. And I'll get to the arena around noon or one o'clock and sort of cross some T's, dot some I's based on where we're at. I'll communicate to people who need to be communicated with about things they need to be communicated about with the asterisks that nothing is, nothing's written in stone yet, but this mm-hmm. is what we're thinking and uh, just to get the creative minds flowing and yeah, cross my T's, dot my I's and wait for, uh, it's like the calm before the storm and then the, the storm comes in at some point. The, the madness ensues. Wrestling is fluid. It's a, it's a fluid game and it needs to be a fluid game. And you have all these different minds and different components and different things to think about. And there's different changes. And until it's done, it's not done. So once, you know, you have a show, you don't have a show until you go, actually, here's a better thing we can do. So this thing we talked about before, that's gone because this is a better idea and this is a better idea. So you're constantly updated until until it's, it's showtime. So the last, you know, five hours or whatever before the show, that's the storm. And that's what I look for. Yeah, you know, there's a lot about the process I personally wasn't aware of. And it, it's... it's Yeah, nobody uh, yeah. is. Yeah, and uh, no, nobody is. But, you know, I, I, I love it. I think it's it's amazing. Like, everything you described is pretty much accurate to a T. Only part I'll disagree with is that I, I have learned that until it's actually happened on screen, it's really not done. Uh, because I there have been various times where something that... Because, you know, Aubrey, we've talked about this before, how in pro wrestling, it's one of those feel it kind of things, right? Like until it's actually happened, until you get in front of the crowd and realize, oh, maybe this will work a little bit better. And then then you go in that direction and you feel it from the crowd. And until it's happened, it hasn't happened. And that's truly the the beauty of the creative of professional wrestling. Yeah, there's actually a saying I have. It's uh, it hasn't happened until it's happened. And even when it's happened, it hasn't really happened. Which means that, like, because <laughs> even if you do something, like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter until like it's over, right? You go, all right, we're gonna do you versus Kenny Omega, and you, we're gonna set up for it tonight, and you set up for it, and the crowd doesn't care, and you go, well, we're just gonna turn away from that, and it, you know, it's just not gonna. Or you have the match go, all right, Will, this is your, this is your big break. It's you and Kenny Omega on on pay per view, and this is going to put you to the upper echelon and you have the match thinking like, this is it. You have a great match. And then the next day you're not on TV and you go, well, what happened? I thought, I thought this was going to be my big break. It's like, yeah, maybe, or maybe not. Cause even when something happens until it like connects with the people until, you know, you're making that money until all of it, and it, it really hasn't happened. So all these things that we think are, you know, look, I was on a show on MTV. It didn't, it didn't change my life whatsoever it didn't it didn't affect it at all like even when it happened it was like it didn't happen you know all-time great show though i don't care what anybody says in case anybody isn't aware a a short time period do you want to bring that up jimmy 
Wrestling Society X. Wrestling Society X. Yeah. I was like all about Wrestling Society X. I was convincing people. I'm like, this is going to be the next big thing. I'm telling you, Wrestling Society X on MTV. But I, I'm obviously an early adopter. I was one of the people who was like, an Wrestling Society I, I don't think you could be a late adopter. Not <laughs> <laughs> in four weeks. No, I, what I mean is, like, I'm always the person who's like, something new. This is great. This is going to be awesome. And Wrestling Society X was one of those times that was... You're an early advocate. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's really it. But honestly, I would love it if more people knew about Wrestling Society X. More people could see what Wrestling Society X was all about. Is that available anywhere? I think that, I mean, there's a DVD set somewhere. I, I'm sure you can find it online. I've got it. And the few DVDs I still have, you know, that's one of the ones I, I, I maintained. Yeah, I mean, look, it was awesome. You know, props to, you know, Kevin Kleinrock and Big Vision Entertainment for getting a wrestling show on uh, on MTV. But, you know, I was 22 at the time. And, you know, I knew, you know, they're saying, you know, you guys are going to giving awards out at the VMAs and you'll be on uh, location at you know, MTV Spring Break. I'm just like, this is none of the, you know, it's like, maybe, who knows? Like, who, like, Nothing happens until it happens. And even when it happens, it hasn't happened yet. Like there's not, there's nothing happening until that thing is happening. Everything else is just like throwing shit against the wall and seeing what sticks. And if it doesn't stick, it doesn't matter if it hits the wall or not. So it's like, let's try throwing shit at another wall. Let's try throwing it at the ceiling. Let's try rubbing it into the floor. Like wrestling is just one of those weird things where you're just, well, maybe, maybe it'll work. I don't know. And then all of a sudden, like Prince Nana is doing a dance and it's all over Twitter. And it's just like, yep, that's the thing that works. Who knows? Whatever. Yeah. And it it took Prince Nana 20 plus years to for that to happen <laughs> right you know this is why i don't i don't worry too much about anything or anybody i i find that there's no i i can't think of any real like injustices in wrestling like the guys that are good end up health permitting the guys that are good end up where they need to be and the guys that you know are okay end up in the okay spots and the guys that aren't very good you can prop them up for a little bit but eventually the bottom gives out and you can keep someone who's really good you can try to keep them down but eventually they become undeniable so uh yeah prince not after you know 20 plus years he's got he's got to dance and people are doing it great yep (laughs) nothing to worry about awesome i've i've learned already so much in this first segment and there's so much more to talk about with jimmy jacobs coming up here on aew unrestricted Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Unrestricted, Aubrey, Will, Jimmy. It's a great conversation so far, learning about more behind the scenes, how how the day-to-day of wrestling works and just how it's just, we're going to see what happens. And I really appreciate just the honesty there, how it's so great. It's like, yep, nope, we're, we're just trying stuff. It's awesome. So... Everyone who's complaining on Twitter about things, it's like, you don't even know, guys. You don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel you know, this is something Will and I have talked about. Just like... Nobody knows what they're talking about. Nobody knows what they're talking about. And it's fine. You're, you're allowed to not know what you're talking about. But like, there's people that like, 
you know, really speak very confidently about just like they don't know. And like, and how, and how could you know? Until I was in the W's writer, W writer's room for the time I was in, like, I didn't know. I was in the business for 16 years at that point. And I thought things were a certain way. And there's even wrestlers that were in WWE that they don't know what's on this side of things because they're on that side of things. Like, so pe- people don't know what it is that we do. They don't know what it is that I do. I sometimes I'd, I'd read people say sometimes really nice things about me. And I just go, yeah, but that's not even, that's not even what I do. <laughs> <laughs> they think, I think the biggest misconception about the idea of like writers and, and people in creative or, or whatever is that we're ultimately like shot callers. Like I have the ability to somehow shift the show for my preferences. And when people, you know, sometimes people ask me at, at this job, they go, uh, hey, Jimmy, do you want uh, do you want this guy to have an entrance or whatever? And I just go, my preferences have nothing to do with what's on the show. Yeah. As my as my friend uh, put, we're advisors to the king. We're not leading the charge. We're just advisors to the king. Uh, I'm a resource for talent. I'm a resource for Tony. I'm not someone who's going like, all right, guys, this is what we're doing. You know, carve it in stone. For whatever people want to put me over for, they have to put me over like with an asterisk going, yeah, that's a collaborative process that whatever was ultimately on TV, my boss, whether that was Vince McMahon or Scott Moore or Tony Khan made the decision to put it on TV. And it was collaborated with, with the talent who brought an idea I had to life and likely collaborated with me to make that vision work. And so like my fingerprints are on a ton of stuff. But you can't give me the credit for anything. And the same token, you can't give me the, the, the criticism to go, oh, Jimmy did this. Jimmy, no, no, my fingerprints might have been on some shit. And I'm sure <laughs> making 52 weeks of television a year with multiple shows per week. It's like, yeah, it's not, it's not all gourmet food, man. But the boss lets that up. And the talent goes, okay, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll make this work. But ultimately, it's the boss that goes, hey, you're going to make this work uh, most of the time. So, yeah, advisors to the king, man. I, I really like that analogy. <laughs> that, that's honestly the best way to look at it. I had legitimately, this is the first time I've told this story publicly, but I legit had a reporter reach out to me asking about, they were like, I heard a rumor that, such and such was responsible for such and such and such was responsible for blah, blah, blah. And the only response I had for that was that, guys, this is Tony Khan's show. Mm-hmm. That is who runs the show. I don't care what you heard anywhere else. This is Tony Khan's show. And we are simply advisors to the king, as you put it. And that's the only way that you could ever answer that question. And that's it. I do want to ask you, though. Having been in a creative role as as long as you've been, including having created for yourself, but we'll get to that in a second. What would you call the first successful storyline that you had your fingerprints on that you looked back and went that wasn't about yourself, but where you got to create for someone else and you went, dang, I think I might have something with this. Again, it's it's so collaborative, you know, especially, you know, the first time I, I was really doing creative for people other than me is of course wwe and it's like again not, none of it's like yours you know people talk about the list of jericho because yes 
that was my idea. And it's sort of a, a rare, a rare moment that it's like, yes, I have this, this one idea and the one idea in collaboration with Chris sort of makes it onto television. And, and that, and that thing becomes an overact, but mostly you're, you're spitballing ideas and the creative ends up being an amalgam of what the writers are talking about and what, you know, the boss wants to do combined with the way the talent puts it together. So it, it's hard to go like, yeah, that's me. That's my stuff. Um, there's very few things I can point to as going, this is my vision. All blocks were, were, were moved out of the way and just like, I created this. I mean, roughly speaking, the, the list of Jericho and the stuff with him and Kevin, but again, it's, it's, it's so collaborative. It's like unfair for me to say, I did this. Like I, I've said words, I've come up with ideas. I've, but the buck doesn't stop with me on any level. It doesn't stop with me for as far as what the boss is, says he wants, nor does it stop with me as far as like the talent goes out there and performs it and creates it. So I'm, I'm a spoke in the wheel. I'm a cog in a machine. I'm not, none of it's mine. I feel like it's very much like you can have an idea, but until like someone stands in the ring and holds up a pen and then clicks it, nobody sat in a room and said, you know what? You're going to hold up the pen and you're going to stay there. And then you're going to click it after the audience kind of like swells asking for it. It's like, that's the kind of stuff that you feel that we had talked about before. It's like, you don't actually know. You can kind of have this starting point, but where it goes from there is that collaborative effort of everyone's trying to drive a car and they all have a steering wheel. And it's like, what if we go here? What if we go here? Let's try this. Okay. Well, this was on the map, but let's go in this direction instead. It's just sort sort of all over the place. I really like it. Yeah. And I mean, that was a big change when I know eight years ago or so when I started working behind the scenes was to have that feeling of going, oh, the buck doesn't stop with me. Because like, yes, it's like in a certain sense, the buck stops with, with the boss, but in a really more fundamental sense, the buck stops with the performer. That's who's bringing this alive. That's who's taking this to completion. And so that's who's going to make something great or not. Like you can have ideas and some ideas can be good and of themselves, but like it takes the character bringing their soul into what's given to them to make something great. I'm curious... Obviously, we talk about how you you can't really put like it's just your fingerprints, right? But is there something that you've potentially worked on where everyone was just in it and it worked, or you thought it was going to work and then it just didn't hit? I'm sure there has been. You know, again, it's like you're 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 dealing with like there's a few things that stick out in my time doing creative, but beyond that, it's just like you're just going you're going every single week, and this is the the thing that I didn't understand before I was on this side of things when I was just performing and going, Oh, this isn't, this isn't as good as it could be. It's like, no, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> not, not a single bit of it is because it's, it's the next week and then it's the next week and then it's the next week and then it's the next week. You're much more of a, of a fast food cook than a, than a gourmet chef. Like you just are. And sometimes you make a really good burger. Every once in a while, you make a really good burger. But like a lot of it is going, we need something for this week. And it's not ideal. And maybe if we had another month to think about it, we could come up with something that's great. And we could come up with all the props and the production to make this exactly right. But 
mostly everything's less than ideal. And sometimes there are ideas you go, yes, I think this will hit, and it doesn't. And sometimes the ideas you think this isn't going to be very good, and it's good. And then you go on to the next week. Yeah, I would say week-to-week television, I mean, in general, week-to-week television in professional wrestling especially is unlike anything else that exists on the planet in terms of entertainment. There is no other form of touring entertainment that is different in every single town it hits and has to be creatively rewritten every single time it it happens and it airs you're not getting the same show you know broadway play whether it you know when it goes on tour you're getting the same exact broadway play right like all the performers know what they're going to do the next town they're in it's exactly the same even when it comes to to scripted television right you're dealing with months and months of pre-written scripts and things that are pre-planned and whatnot but like week-to-week wrestling television nothing on the entire planet like it it's such its own unique thing one of the things i wanted to talk to you about though thing i've been excited to talk to you about let's get to your ring of honor career shall we yay because you're in ring of honor quite some time i believe it was a decade right you were with ring of honor 10 years in those 10 years you were the face of a lot of different things right you were jumping jimmy jacobs you had the uh the john nor gimmick and really where I'd say you gained the most notoriety, I, I think, from somebody who was watching at the time was was Project 161, Age of the Fall. I want to talk about that a little bit. How, how did that all come about? Yeah, I mean, so that that all came out of the, the stuff I was doing with Lacey, right? The, the, the Lacey stuff was the thing that t- turned the corner for me. Like, So I was doing the furry boots thing. Jumping Jimmy Jacobs is pre-ring of honor. Oh, that's right, right, right. I was doing the furry boots thing. Gabe... He liked me enough to keep me around. I was getting really good reactions at shows because people liked chanting Huss, Huss with me and, and things like that. And they were like, I'm like talented enough, but I'm not as talented as the other guys at all. And so it was the Lacey thing. I was on the cusp of Gabe letting me go in early 2006. I was, he was kind of, I had a call with him and he was pretty frank with me that he just kind of didn't care about me um, and just didn't see me as a player there. That's when I created the Ballad of Lacey and, which when he saw that, he's like, that's the greatest thing I've ever seen. I go, I know, like, this is what I'm, I'm, <laughs> this is what I'm saying. I'm saying that I'm good. <laughs> but like, sometimes that, that desperation breeds innovation, right? So it was, it was coming out of the, where I'm this like love stricken, you know, little boy trying to gain the, the affection of, of this woman who's, who's my manager. Towards the end of the story, it started to take a little bit of a, of a, of a darker turn. And Gabe had the idea, he's like, I want you to, lead a group of misfits kind of like a raven's flock type thing and gabe also had the idea of um, doing this this viral marketing campaign which nine inch nails had just done something like this so he stole it off of nine inch nails and he brought it to pro wrestling look it was gabe's and uh, it was gabe's idea his inception uh, there and we spent the summer of 2007 you know trying to come up with who who's in this group who are the guys um and what's the point of this group and and wrestlers don't don't get that it's like there's, there's there's a way that booking is done there's a there's a few things that the age of the fall was about when gabe saw tyler black now seth rollins he goes oh this guy's a star so we want to put him in something that's going to put him with people that are established and get him on the track to being a star at the same point you have the briscoes who are like the greatest the best tag team they're the tag team that was like there 
And ultimately, like you're building people to put over your top people. Like that's what the job of most wrestlers are. And everybody wants these like top spots, but the top spot is like the top spot more or less. So the Briscoes are the top spot in the, in the tag team division. So you need to build tag teams for them to work with. They've worked with everybody else. And so it's like, how do we build new guys? Um, so the age of the fall was about moving me into a more main event role, creating a tag team for the Briscoes to work with and being the launching pad for hopefully Tyler Black becoming a star. That was the point of the, of the thing. Well, you kind of backtracking a little bit, talking about the Ballad of Lacey and whatnot, because this is stuff I bring up to you all the time. Those songs that you had done, you had done the Ballad of Lacey, Love's Victory, and Kiss to Kill. Those are all genuinely great songs. Like, literally, this man walks into the room and for whatever reason, Love's Victory especially, just like starts playing in my head. And I have had that song burn in my brain since 2007, was that when that was recorded? Six. 2006, okay. Uh, Somewhere around that point, right? Like, I've had that song burn in my brain ever since. I can't see Jimmy Jacobs without hearing, I believe like Ducky said to Andy. Like, literally, a... a (laughs) It, it hits me every single time. <laughs> oh, God. They're genuinely great songs. And, like, I, I almost want those to, to exist to the wrestling world again today to know that, like, Jimmy Jacobs was at that point. Um, when you talk about, you know, almost having been let go in 2006 and then all of a sudden making this change and figuring out props to, to my to my old co-host, Michael Z, for um the the videos by the way yeah yeah heck yeah this was really like a discovery of how much you had to offer as a character i think that that's really what independent wrestling fans got out of all of that at that point all of a sudden we were seeing that okay we we knew we everybody was having fun with the the husk gimmick and all of that but but learning who you were or who you could be as a character i think that really brought a lot to independent wrestling fans at that point yeah i mean so that was the conversation i basically had with gabe you know, when he told me he was more or less done with me, it was me calling him up and going, hey, man, I need a story. Like, I need something to sink my teeth into. Like, that's that's what I do. I remember telling him, like, I'm not a guy that can go out there and just have one great match, like, you know, Brian Danielson or, or Matt Seidel or Jack Evans, who's just going to be really impressive. I'm like, that's not, that's not what I bring to the table. And he's just like, look, man, stories are nice. And gimmicks are good, but the matches sell the DVDs and you don't have those kind of matches. Like, that's... That was his quote, like it burned into my head. But, you know, I was, I was doing that, you know, at Ian Rotten's, you know, Ian, who gave me a lot of freedom to to play. And I'm not saying I was firing on all cylinders, but like in 2001, I was, sorry, I was 21. In 2005, I was his, you know, his his world champion. And like, I, I was cutting a lot of promos and I was, I was just, I was in it it became obvious that like, that's what I do. Starting like, like 2004 for him really started to become obvious. Like, Oh, Jimmy's Jimmy's like a, he's a story guy. He's a, he's a character guy. And yeah, he can kind of go with the other guys, but where he sticks out is that. And so the emo thing, which was Gabe's idea gave me the, the the framework in, in which to, it was my idea to have the love storyline with, with Lacey, but it it gave me the framework in, in which, in which to do that. There's no injustices. Like you have, you have to be undeniable. Like you have to just like break through everything. Going, yeah, I know you don't see it, but here it is. Look, 
You know, it's like, oh, can I just dig, Gabe? Can I just do do something for it? Just we're just starting this thing with Lacey. Can I do something? I'll I'll send you something. And he goes, yeah, you can, you can, like whatever. So he, even with without the the like, oh, it's it's a great match. Like, no, look, this is this is what I am. It's it's so great to hear kind of just from the two perspectives, right? Like we've talked about you as someone who's on the creative team, but also trying to figure out how to make stories work as performers. And it's really awesome. I'm enjoying this conversation today. So thanks for being here. Coming up, we got more with Jimmy here on AEW Unrestricted. We're back here on AEW Unrestricted, of course, talking with the one and only Jimmy Jacobs. Jimmy, we've talked about you as a creative and we've talked about you as a professional wrestler in a lot of ways those two things go hand in hand so where do you see yourself currently as a professional wrestler yeah man i'll put on tights if people ask me to (laughs) depending on when this airs maybe i'll have had a match recently already you know i i I don't i don't know or maybe not i don't know like i can't i can't tell the future that was why i kept that question like kind of vague by the way the last shows i did i did i just did a 10-day tour in Canada for my buddy Danny Duggan at the beginning of May, 10 days in a row, and I'm fine. Look, I could be at the peak of my career if that's what I wanted. If I wanted to be like an in-ring performer, I'm 39 years old, I could be in the peak of my career. I just don't, I don't want to do that work. I don't want to do the work that it takes to perform at a high level. I, I just don't. Like, that's not what I'm interested in. I'm super busy with AEW, but if and when there's time, you know, in my schedule, if someone's like, hey, Jimmy, you want to put on some tights and play? Well, of course I do. <laughs> I just like the idea of Jimmy Jacobs showing up at the venue with all of his stuff. And then he's just got tights and boots in the bag, you know, just in case. You never know. That's what you learn early on in wrestling is just always have your gear ready because you never actually know. You never actually know. Which, speaking of which, and I, I little backstory for me. First time I interviewed Jimmy Jacobs was in 2005. I've probably interviewed you like five or six times, but 2005, I got to ask you about something uh, because it was very recent. But now it's it's almost history at this point. But in 2005, shortly after Eddie Guerrero turned heel, you were the basically his first victim. Actually, if I remember correctly, you hold a victory there because you technically won by disqualification, but... Uh, Eddie Guerrero kicked the shit out of you (laughs) (laughs) after his heel turn. I wanted to ask you a couple of questions. One, you know, we always talk about always be ready, always have your gear. How did that come about? How were you the one selected to be essentially Eddie Guerrero's opponent that night? And then two, I guess, talk about sharing the ring with Eddie Guerrero. Yeah, sure. So this is 2005. I was out in the East Coast for um, Manhattan Mayhem, I think. It was our first show in, in New York City for Ring of Honor. I was staying with Chris Hero for a couple of days. He lived in Reading, Pennsylvania. And I saw that WB was going to be in Reading for, for SmackDown. And so I, I called Paul London, who's a buddy of mine. I go, hey, we should, we should grab dinner afterwards. And he goes, well, I actually I just, uh, I left a message and he calls me back. He's like, actually, I just uh, I called Tommy Dreamer. So you, you, you can come to the show and said Tommy was good. So I just went to the show and I was 21. I was just so like, Oh, I don't belong here. It was so scary to me. I'd been backstage like one other time with Zach Allen back in 03. But this is, this is my first time being invited by someone who didn't have heat with everyone in the locker room. (laughs) Yeah. I was hanging around ringside and a couple of the agents went to the couple of guys in the ring. They're going, Hey, 
any of these guys any good? And uh, Jimmy Yang had just seen me in um, in Ring of Honor in Dayton against BJ Whitmer and uh, Dan Moff in a tag in Delirious where they kind of just like beat the crap out of us. Jimmy goes, yeah, yeah, that kid right there can, can sell. And so they bring me over. It's like Sergeant Slaughter and Dean Malenko. And they're like, all right, take off your earrings, take off your nail polish, uh, and it'll be you and Eddie tonight. And, you know, I'm like, sure, I guess. You know, uh, so again, nothing happens till it happens. I'm, I'm 21. I, I understand this. I understand that, like, there's, there's no point in getting your hopes up of going, I'm wrestling Eddie Guerrero tonight on SmackDown, which I did, but there's no point in getting your hopes up about it. So I went to the, um, the makeup room to get my nail polish removed. And Eddie walked in and I go, Hey man, I, I heard we're going to work together tonight. And Eddie goes, I just want to thank you so much for doing this for me. And, and thank you um, for your professionalism. I just, I, I apologize. This match, it needs to be all me tonight. This match is for me. It needs to be all me. And I, I really, I really apologize. And I, and I thank you so much for your professionalism. You know, I saw Eddie uh, various times throughout the day. He was, he was a little erratic. He was a little like, he's, he's a genius. He gets, to, he gets to be erratic. You know, going up to me and going, oh, yeah, and then, uh, you know, I'll go bring it outside and, you know, frog splash uh, off the top, one, two, three. And then he goes to lead. He goes, actually, uh, uh, I'll bring in the chair, brain buster on the chair, uh, black tiger style. And he, and he walks up. And he'll go, yeah, black, black tiger style, uh, brain buster on the chair, uh, you up. And then he walks away. I'm like, me up. Uh, that's weird. And you're just sitting there like, what? <laughs> Uh, uh, did he just say that? Like, what's going on? <laughs> right. Michael Hayes was the agent for it. And, you know, he talked me over. He's like, you know, Eddie can be intense in there. So all that sort of stuff. And, you know, right before we went out, Eddie said to me, uh, you know, I just want to thank you again. And God willing, we'll work together again under, under better circumstances. And, you know, we went out there and, uh, you know, he didn't touch me. He was a professional. Like, it's like, <sighs> that's what wrestling is. Wrestling is you make it look like it hurts and it doesn't hurt. And I had people like that night it was taped, you know, so that Friday night I had people like calling me and maybe texting, probably calling back in 05 going, Oh my gosh, it looks like it killed you. Are you okay? It's like, yeah, it's, it's fine. He, he was, he was a freaking pro. And, uh, you know, I came to the back after the match and, you know, it was, felt good. And Vince got my attention. He said, thank you. Good job. I'm like, this is it. This is, oh my gosh, look what's happening. I'm 21. I'm thinking like the world's like happening for me. And it was an awesome experience, man. I, I learned from Eddie the, not about wrestling as such, although I learned about how to, how you treat someone. You know, it doesn't matter. You know, now I've been in the business longer than some of these kids have been alive. Like it, that doesn't, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where someone's been if Eddie could treat me like, like a human being and like an equal, if he can take care of me in the ring and not go, well, this is a piece of meat and it's my, it's my turn to get over. So, uh, let me beat the crap out of you. And that's just your job is to allow me to, to beat the crap out of you. It's like, no, that's what a, that's what a professional does. And that's what a, that's what a human being does. And we're all fundamentally just human beings. We're all fundamentally just expressions of the, the, the one consciousness we're, we're all fundamentally equal to each other and it doesn't matter what sort of title what sort of role what sort of character that we're playing in our day-to-day -day lives you're you're a wrestler guy i'm writer guy i'm veteran guy you're you're a green kid like these are all costumes we're putting on it has no bearing on each human being's individual value and how we should treat them i think that's a really good statement for 
those that like everyone sees as like really great guys. Those guys that are great are not just great wrestlers, but they end up being great people as well because they're they understand sort of the role of wrestling of everyone sort of building each other up because you have to build up those greener guys to make the veterans look good type of yeah. thing. And I just like hearing these awesome stories. Again, it's beyond wrestling. It's a lesson for life that don't get caught up in the in the monopoly board and think that you're a car. It's like you're not a car. Like you're not you're not the top hat. You're the person playing as the top hat. Like I'm not the guy in creative that says, you know, yeah, I, I get to rule over you. I'm not the veteran that goes, you know, because what I say goes. Like that's a character. That's a that's a shell. That's a costume. That's a title that we take on. We take on titles in life, but those titles have nothing to do with what we all are fundamentally. Man, that's freaking beautiful, man. <laughs> those are like, bars, man. <laughs> Yeah, bars, wow. absolute bars here on AW Unrestricted. Do, do, do we have any other notes we need to close on? Because I feel like that's a... I, d- I don't want to really close on anything else. Like that was just yeah. like, yeah, no, that's like my motivational Monday type thing there. Like I'm going to just take that little clip and play that when I'm feeling low. <laughs> so thanks for that, Jimmy. That was great. Yeah. yeah, thank you for being here, Jimmy. Thank you for being on Unrestricted. I, I, I'm officially done pestering you about doing Unrestricted going forward. Although we'd have to, there's so much more to talk about. We have to have you on again sometime. Oh, yeah. Great. Thank you guys for having me. Yes, thank you. And of course, you can listen to and follow this podcast, AEW Unrestricted, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. You can check out video episodes of this on our YouTube channel at AEW Unrestricted. Hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. AEW Dynamite on TBS Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Rampage is Fridays at 10 p.m. And Collision live every Saturday on TNT at 8 p.m. ROH streams every Thursday on Honor Club. Outside of that, I'm Will Washington. I'm Aubrey Edwards. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Peace. Yeah. Come on, throw your hands up. Let me see you. Unrestricted. Got the house now. We gonna turn it up, up. Bring the house down. Got that big space pump and make them bounce now. Flossing like they bossing and the freaks are coming out now. Unrestricted. Uh, uh, Unrestricted. Uh, uh,